Welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You, a daily podcast that shines a light on the American justice system and its role in empowering the powerful to take from you. The justice system is the only branch of your government where an individual, rather than the collective, can make the system act for you. It puts power in the individual's hands, but it's broken and being used against you at a time when you need it most. And we are live on Who Wrote That Up For You? Today is Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. I am Sonia Ebron, co-founder at Courtroom 5. I am Deborah Sloan, the other co-founder at Courtroom 5. We've got a marvelous show lined up for you today. In a few moments, we will speak with Kit, who will share her experience just trying to get her name changed uh, after many years of wanting to do that. A little further in the show, we'll speak with Mary Oram. Mary's a property management um, expert who finds herself in the middle of disputes between landlords or owners and tenants all the time uh, and will share some of her um, uh, experience with us as well. Before we get there, though, Deborah, what's on your mind today? I'd like to talk about the issue of, well, first of all, we discussed previously I did a series on uh, things that make pro se litigants lose. So I'm doing a new series on uh, peculiar law things. And one of the peculiar things about the law that's not so much in other fields is just the massive amount of uh, rules about assisting someone with with their cases. It, it, It doesn't matter whether it's criminal or civil. You can go to jail if you help somebody with a case. Problem with that is that lawyers take advantage of that all the time. And uh, so uh, they they use things within the law, use the uh, procedure, civil procedure within the law to basically make pro se litigants lose. One of the examples is uh, requests for admissions. That's a real easy one. That's a simple one where a lawyer will um, send out a request for admissions, knowing that a pro se litigant is not really going to be, uh, not going to really know what that is or the impact of not responding. So when the pro se litigant doesn't respond, basically the lawyer wins because the pro se litigant has already admitted that everything that, that, that was said is uh, admitted is true. And so uh, I, and I know some you talk a lot about hate the, hate the, <laughs> hate the, the play hate the game, not the player. But in this case, it's just it just strikes me as uh, unfair in such an important uh, on such an important issue as justice. It's interesting. I've actually experienced uh, that uh, failure myself, having a uh, an experienced litigator send me a request for admissions, and I'm like, I'm not admitting to any of that, and just ignoring it. Uh, and of course, by doing so, admitted all of it. Yeah, those sorts of rules, uh, you know, really dissuade you from the, the belief that these uh, institutions are set up to uh, to serve uh, average people. So uh, I am um, I'm glad to hear you bringing that up. A fantastic. Well, who wrote that up for you is sponsored by Courtroom 5. At Courtroom 5, we believe the courts belong to the people, in particular to the people who use them. And we, the people, are coming to claim our courts. 
And so if you are in court without a lawyer, or if you need to sue someone and can't find a lawyer uh, to represent you, get yourself over to courtroom5.com. Try a limited version of our services for free, and we hope to provide some uh, relief for you there. At this time, it's my pleasure to welcome onto the show, Kit. Um, Thank you for joining us on Who Wrote That Up For You, Kit. Uh, I know that you, um, from previous conversation, had wanted to to change your name uh, for for some time, and waited until you had the sort of leisure and the time to uh, to be able to handle that process. Tell us what you experienced. Well, so I, you know, I I actually disliked my first name for a long time. I disliked it enough. I don't want to tell you what it was. Sort of, it worked, and I worked under that name. I went to school under that name. But once I retired and then moved. I thought, oh, you know, I'm starting in a new place. It's a great time to change my name. So, uh, but unfortunately, it was also during COVID. So that complicated things a little bit. I couldn't just walk into the courthouse. But uh, Alameda, Alameda County in California is where I am. And the court had a you know, pretty good thing of having all the paperwork and stuff available online. So I, I downloaded the form using my, uh, I don't remember now how I did get it printed. Somehow I managed to get it printed. Uh, and, you know, filled it out to send it in. And I found that before I could send in the form or when I send in the form, I also had to have lined up uh, advertising the change of name in a paper of record. Right. I guess the idea is that you can't just, you know, change your name and say, no, that wasn't me about something. So you have to put it in a, an ad in. Um, but and the, and it said that the ad I had to get myself started and have a court tape and then have the ad run for at least uh, three consecutive weeks or something like that. So I, I tried to do that and I put the stuff in and I got the paperwork back from the court and they say, okay, great. Your court date is two weeks from now. And it's like, wait, I can't have the ad run. So I had to contact them again and do it over and get that changed. And, you know, of course it costs something. It costs us several hundred dollars, you know, to get the ad run and, a hundred and some dollars to file with the court. Um, but so I, I did those things. Uh, and finally they, you know, they, everything happened. The ad ran, the ad was correct. The court date happened, but it was still COVID. So instead of my going in, um, the, the judge just called me on the phone and, uh, asked me if this, all this information was correct and, and, you know, why I wanted to change my name. And, and so I had explained all that. Um, and so that all seemed great. And he said, okay, you'll get the, you'll get the paperwork in the mail. And it came, but, um, so I had started the process in February, but it was April when the paperwork arrived and the paperwork said on it that the name change had happened in July, which it wasn't even July yet. And it didn't match the other dates on the papers, (laughs) but luckily because the lawyer had called me on my cell phone, I had the lawyer's number, excuse me, the judge had called me on my cell phone. So I had the judge's number. So I just called the judge and said, oh, what do I do? And he said, oh, I'll take care of it, which he absolutely did. He was really nice. I don't know what I would have had to go through otherwise. And I got the correct form a couple of, of a week or so later. And then I thought, great, I'm done. So, you know, but this is how things are with government and so forth. So I contacted my bank and I said, you know, let me send you my court order form and change the name on my accounts. And they said, oh, but you have to first you have to um, show us that you have a you've changed your Social Security uh, records. 
So I called Social Security, um, which, by the way, is the same number you call for Medicaid, Medicare stuff. And they said, well, the, you know, the office is closed. We can't do this over the phone. Um, you have to submit things to us in person. But you can't even start with us until you have a new driver's license so that we have a, a photo ID with your new name on it. So, <laughs> so by that time, DMV actually did have some some um, restricted office hours. So I waited at DMV for, I don't know how long I had to wait and uh, got that and waited for them to send me the new driver's license in the mail. Um, so then I contacted social security again and they, although DMV had been open, the social security office still wasn't open because of COVID, but they said, but you can make an appointment to drop off your paperwork and you have to give us your, your, your driver's license. I'm like, um, well, then what do I do with, I don't have a driver's license in the meantime. And <laughs> they said, well, we'll send it right back to you. So luckily, you know, I did that. I gave them the driver's license. They did get the driver's license back to me within a week, like special delivery delivery. And luckily I, you know, I live in an address and have a secure mailbox, you know, that, so I could get all my documents back. Um, and so then, so social security, so then Social Security got changed, and then I was able to go to the bank and get that changed. But, you know, the story wasn't quite over because my next Medicare bill came, and it had the wrong, the old name on it. I'm like, Look. so I had to call Social Security again to get them to change it for Medicare. Oh, my. That's a mess. That is such a mess. You know, it, it's, you know, you had to deal with uh, the courts uh, and then DMV and Social Security and all of those government agencies that you would think would make things easier. What's striking to me, Kit, about the story here is that all of those things, it seems to me, were made easier because of COVID. That had we not, yeah, had we not had the, the pandemic, you, you would have had a much more difficult time getting any yeah. of that done. And of course it was made, you know, possible because being retired, I had the time to right. read all this paperwork and fill out each one of these forms, you know, which were kind of duplicative of each other. Oh, my. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you got it done. Thank um, you. you know, name changes are important for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, everybody has an individual story there, but it's meaningful uh, to everybody who wants to go through that. So glad that uh, glad that it was, although difficult, uh, done. It's in the past now. So fantastic. Thank you so much for Thank sharing you. your story. Thank on you. For you. Thank um, you for the work you do. It makes a difference. I, I appreciate that very much. Thanks again. Fantastic. Uh, that's a that's a success story, although difficult. Uh, great to great to hear that uh, she got that done. Absolutely, absolutely. So, who won yesterday's quiz? If anyone, we actually had a winner today. Here's the quiz. This was a true or false question. One goal of a motion in limine is to get harmful evidence or testimony ruled inadmissible. That is true. The other goal is to get certain evidence or testimony admitted. So that's that's primarily the definition of a motion in limine. That's a true statement. The winner is Omar A. Congratulations to Omar there. I thought that was... Uh, another of your trick questions. Uh, so really glad. You know, it's interesting. We have a voice message capability on the podcast. Want to just invite uh, our viewers and listeners to to check that out. You could actually submit your uh, answers to these quizzes by voice message as well. 
be sure to leave your name uh, if you do that. But wherever you find the podcast, you'll be able to do that. I would love on questions like this, though, to hear how people pronounce lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we have problems with that. I'm just learning. Congratulations to Omar there. What do you have teed up for us tomorrow? Okay, today's quiz. What, which of the following is the least likely to be asserted as a defense in a contract case? Is it a mistake? Unclean hands, accord and satisfaction, or contributory negligence? Which of these are the least likely or is the least likely to be asserted as a defense in a contract case? If you want to participate in today's quiz, send your responses to quiz at courtroom5.com. I'll tell you, those are some tough (laughs) questions you've got there. Tough questions you've got there. I don't even know what some of those defenses are, but, (laughs) but, you know, Google is a friend. Courtroom 5 is a friend, so uh, we can certainly do our do our research there. Fantastic. Well, hopefully we'll have a winner uh, on that tomorrow as well. Uh, at this time, I'm pleased to welcome to the show, uh, Mary Oram uh, is a property manager um, handling issues between owners, property owners and tenants all the time. Mary, welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for joining us, Mary. Tell us about your uh, experience as a property manager. How did you find yourself in that field um, and what what made you interested in it? Well, I married a real estate broker. (laughs) And then I started having children. I had been a court consultant in my previous occupation and it included a lot of travel. And so when I started having babies, I decided I was not leaving my children at home while I went off for a week somewhere. So my husband said, well, come work at, at the real estate brokerage. So that's how I made the shift. Fantastic. Fantastic. I know that you're also a notary public. Um, was that a part of becoming a property manager or is just something you've done uh, in the past? Well, in a real estate office, you always need to have someone who is a notary because there are times when you can't go to a title company to sign things. And so my husband said, well, you're going to be our notary. So ah. you're a notary for many years. Absolutely. So then tell us about the work of a property manager. What what do you do uh, in that role? Well, we're the interface between the owners of the property and the tenants and everybody who has to do work on the property and all the agencies that we have to deal with. And so um, we spend our time Monday through Friday collecting rents, paying bills, keeping the records straight, um, contacting government agencies, um, Arranging for repairs and maintenance, um, just everything that has to do with a property. You know, anyone who owns a home knows all the things you have to do to keep your home running. And that's what we do as agents for owners. Absolutely. You know, we talk a lot here um, uh, on the show and, and uh, in our business about the problems that individuals can run into uh, in running afoul of the law. Uh, or not being able to use procedures properly. But I know they're even more intricate when you're trying to run a business, particularly in real estate, which is its own practice area, its own branch of of the law. So what are some of the legal rules and regulations that you all have uh, have to be concerned about? Well, tenants have rights. They have right to privacy. They have right to quiet enjoyment. 
And so the owner can't just barge in and we can't just barge in. We have to give people notice um, when someone is coming to make a repair or do an inspection. We have a lot of, um, I'm in Berkeley, California, and Berkeley, California has an awful lot of local ordinances that we have to follow. We have rent control. We have um, just cause for eviction ordinance, which means that if an owner wants to move back into their house after they've been gone, you know, on a job assignment someplace else for a few years, they can't just tell the tenant to move. Um, so we have to deal with all those things. Um, and little things come up all the time. Just yesterday, um, there is a building that we manage. Uh, the owner died. He left the building to his caretaker. And she's using that now. She's of retirement age. She's using that as, his in, as income. Well, there was a tenant in that building that had some financial problems a few years ago before COVID. And she stopped paying the rent. He was very generous and said she could pay, you know, after she got over this little hump and make payments on the debt. So she has been doing that. And then he died and she stopped those extra payments. And so I called a lawyer to say, does the debt go with the land? In other words, did the person who inherited the property inherit the, the, the money that she's owed at the same time? And so I got the answer from the lawyer and I'm going to write to the tenant today saying, do you remember you still owe such and such an amount of money? Um, and it makes sense to me, but I felt like I needed to ch uh, check with the lawyer before sending out such a notice because I don't want someone to say I'm practicing law without a license. And, or even if I'm, you know, even if I think I'm right, I want to make sure I have the right answer. Absolutely. Well, and I'm going to put it in the file. And if anyone ever questions me on this, I will have a letter to say, I checked with the lawyer and here's what the lawyer said. Excellent. Excellent. It is so important to be able to get that legal advice uh, and to and to stay out of trouble on unauthorized practice of law. What are the, uh, let me ask, uh, how frequently do property managers do what you did and contact a lawyer or have a lawyer on retainer to just ring up yeah, that? Yeah, I have a lawyer on retainer. I don't know because I don't talk to other property managers about things like this, but I would say issues come up, oh, every month or so. Um, and, and usually they're just small things and, you know, I'll send an email and I'll get an email back. And so I'm not going to get charged some hourly rate. But that's why I, I every year send a payment and say, you know, this is this is for my advice for the next year. So, you know, keep me out of trouble. Exactly. Exactly. It's very wise, very wise to do that. What kind of trouble could you get into, do you think, if you didn't have a lawyer on retainer? I had a real estate license and um, my real estate, you know, the, the Department of Real Estate governs licensed people. And it's a civil, not criminal. Um, so if I would give someone legal advice, um, even if they, I think even if they knew I wasn't a lawyer and it was incorrect and they relied on it, they could come after me for civil penalties and the Department of Real Estate could sanction me and they could do everything up to including, a, you know, removing my license, which means I don't have a way of making a living. And they're also, they can impose uh, civil penalties, monetary damages. So I don't want to get involved in any of that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to have a lawyer on retainer uh, for sure. That's fantastic. Yeah, anything else you'd like to share uh, with us, Mary? 
people, I'm a notary public also, and people bring in their document and they say, what should I do here? What should I do there? And I, first thing I say is, I am not a lawyer. <laughs> you know, if, if, if the line says signature and they say, do I sign here? I can say, yes, you sign there because it says signature. But when they say, what does this mean? I'll say, call your lawyer. Call the person who, who made up the document for you. Yep. Yep. I don't want to get into trouble with that either. Exactly. Exactly. It's so interesting to to have to uh, take responsibility for understanding or deciding what's legal advice, right, as opposed to legal information there. I know that's a, a subject we struggle with at Courtroom 5 uh, as well all the time. Fantastic. Mary, thank you so much for sharing your experience and all the intricacies of, of property management from a legal oh, You're welcome. Really appreciate you joining us. Best of luck. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye. Wow. You know, as I as I said uh, after speaking with Kit, you would think our government would make the um, you know routine practices like this much simpler, right? You shouldn't necessarily have to retain a lawyer or have a lawyer on standby to be able to answer basic questions like that. You know, and in, in just a routine uh, course of business, that is um, that is so difficult. There's some some change that is needed, in my opinion. Exactly. You know, that situation uh, with uh, with Mary can, can go a lot of places with, with the tenants staying because they can claim ownership. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> if, you, if they want to be bad, you know, <laughs> there's a whole lot that could, that could go with that. So it's really good that she has, you know, some uh, some uh, what I call backup uh, for that. That's that that's really good. So, At the same time, so much of these um, rules and regulations end up adding to the cost of doing business, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for companies and, and for individuals as well. When you think of all of the expenses Kit had to um, to expend just trying to get her name changed. And so, yeah, yeah there's, uh, there's some change that needs to happen here for sure. Fantastic. Well, that's all we have uh, for you today. Thanks, as always, for joining us on Who Wrote That Up For You? And we will see you tomorrow. Are you feeling beleaguered, angry, or afraid, as if things are spinning out of control and you're powerless to stop them? It's easy to just let things slide and hope they don't get worse. But they often do get worse. The thing is, you're not powerless. Our courts belong to us, and their purpose is to give power to the powerless. Don't let your grievances pile up without redressing them. You can handle this in court. Or if someone takes you to court, you can take them to school.